Hey there, Jimmy. Long time no see. Sort of. I'm glad to see you're excited to be back at work. I hope you had a good time while you were on your little paid leave vacation. Yeah, it does sound like you were really productive despite the fact that you were technically taking a break. Spent a lot of time in the garage, didn't you? Yeah, that really is where you as an engineer would feel the most at home. Anyway, now that I've got my proper producer back in the booth, let's get this next episode going. Of course, the board has another announcement for me to read. Oh, really? I'll like this one a little bit more? I'll be the judge of that. Put me on the air. We appreciate all of our volunteers and employees here on the island. And thanks to a very generous donation, we can now take an important step to further ensure each one's safety. More details soon. Well, that is kind of nice of them. I still think there are Welling and Overlords, but it is nice. Hmm. I'm curious to find out where this generous donation came from. The board seems to have some questionable friendships, I'll say that. Yeah, you're right, Jimmy. We need to stay focused on the episode. Let's get started. Live from Ogasawara, this is the Monster Island Film Vault, Episode 30, Latitude Zero Mini-Analysis. Hello, kaiju lovers, and welcome to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. I am your host, the curator of this dream-filled vault, Nathan Marchand. 2020 is winding down, and I have a feeling nobody is going to miss it. I'm glad you agree. Listeners, we've been doing a series of for lack of a better term, filler episodes. Shout out to Bex from Redeemed Otaku because now I'm filler. I've called it Kaiju Kings to at least spruce it up. In some ways, the last few episodes especially have been an effort on my part to fill in some gaps from my previous podcast life. It's a little disappointing because according to someone, we were supposed to have a special Godzilla vs. Kong premiere. Yes, I'm going there. You've been saying this would happen for months, that the board themselves told you about it, but I've heard more buzz from an abandoned beehive than anything related to this so-called event. November 20th rolled around, and there were no celebrities secretly flown to the island by you or anyone else, no invitation sent, not a peep from Adam Wingard or Monarch, nothing, zilch, zero, nada. And now the board's executive assistant is going to talk with us about your announcements and some other PR-related things after we finish the main part of this episode. All I'm saying is, I told you so. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I wanted it to happen as much as any kaiju fan, but it didn't. I don't know who told you about it, Jimmy, but it's immaterial. Let's just chuck it up to 2020 and move on. 
Speaking of things that don't exist, let's talk about Latitude Zero, a 1969 Toho tokusatsu film. It's the story of two scientists, played by Akira Takarada and Masumi Okada, and a photojournalist, played by Richard Jekyll, who discover an underwater utopia, the titular Latitude Zero, whose leader is Mackenzie, played by Joseph Cotton, a 200-year-old Scotsman. Mackenzie's nemesis, the mad Dr. Malik, seeks to kill Mackenzie and destroy Latitude Zero with his army of monsters and terrifying technology. By the way, there is actually a resort at Latitude Zero. It's a retreat for surfers. This film has a strange history. Writer Ted Sherdeman created a popular radio drama with the same title in the 1940s and tried to get it made into a TV series in the 50s to no avail. Eventually, this led him to Ambassador Productions in the late 60s to make it into a movie, and they went to Toho to co-produce it. Sherdeman wrote the initial script, which was translated and revised by Shinichi Sekizawa, who said it was, quote-unquote, all over the place. That should tell you something. The film stars a largely American cast, most notably the Joker himself, Cesar Romero, as the gleefully evil Dr. Malik, and a few Toho regulars like Takarada speaking English. I know! Considering I'm sure he largely learned his lines phonetically, he is pretty good. Anyway, as I was saying, the production of the film was troubled. Director Shiro Honda clashed with the American producers and actors. Ambassador Productions went belly up and pulled out in the middle of filming, leaving Toho to foot the bill. I discuss a lot of these things with my friend and fellow writer Nick Hayden in episode 6, which is on King Kong Escapes. One huge disagreement I didn't mention then was over Linda Haynes, who plays Dr. Ann Barton, nude scene at the Bath of Immunity. With the motion picture production code lifted in 1968, nudity was exploding in American films at the time, but that was accepted in general audience films in Japan. They talked of filming an alternate version for the U.S. market, but Honda didn't want to. They compromised by backlighting her. No comment. What annoys me is one podcast called this beta male behavior. <sighs> I think it's safer to say it was Honda trying to keep it classy. Now, listeners, there's a lot I could say about the production or the film itself, most notably Romero's broad, to put it lightly, performance and its unfortunate monster suits, but I'm instead going to focus on the concept of utopia. You see, I'm not sure Latitude Zero is real. Just because there's a griffin on the island doesn't mean it's Kroiga from Blood Rock. And as for the Batmen, insert Adam West joke here, I'm 99% certain they're from Shocker because they get angry whenever anyone mentions Kamen Rider. But even if LZ is real kaiju lovers, Lawton had every right to doubt its people's benevolence. Now, this is a major disagreement I have with another podcaster who mocked Lawton as a nerd who could go on and reject the paradise it was. I know, right? Nobody has used nerd or geek, for that matter, as an insult since the 90s. 
Indeed, triumph of the nerds! Anyway, listeners, it's appropriate that LZ's existence is questionable because the word utopia, when translated from the Greek, literally means no place. As in, it doesn't exist. The term was coined by author Thomas More in 1516 in a sociopolitical satire book of the same name. Keyword, satire. The whole point he was getting at was this idyllic society, which was an island, I might add, could never be achieved. It's no wonder then that, as Bill Ashcroft noted, my guy, C.S. Lewis, quote, regarded the book as an elaborate joke, and Stephen Greenblatt pointed out that every rule or amenity for the ideal life in the book turns out to be fatally flawed, end quote. History is rife with attempts to create a real-life utopia, and they either fizzle out like Robert Owen's 19th century community in New Harmony, Indiana, yes, one of my fellow Hoosiers tried this, or they led to the deaths of 94 million people killed by communist regimes in Russia, China, North Korea, and other states. And that's compared to 28 million deaths at the hands of fascists. Good point, Jimmy. That doesn't include tyrants from space. In other words, listeners, Lawton's belief that latitude zero is too good to be true is quite understandable. In fact, the related term dystopia was created by John Stuart Mill on March 12, 1868 in Parliament when he said, quote, It is perhaps too complimentary to call them utopians. They ought rather to be called dystopians or cacotopians. What is commonly called utopian is something too good to be practicable, but what they appear to favor is too bad to be practicable, end quote. Utopia invariably comes at the cost of freedom in order to maintain that so-called perfect order. As Roger J.H. King put it, the problem of utopian fiction arises particularly in terms of a concern with the degree of freedom one has as moral agent to be author of one's own life. Yes, I know he's talking about utopian fiction, but it's still applicable to utopia itself. Anyway, the collective takes priority over the individual, which is how a utopia becomes a dystopia. Ashcroft notes, quote, In utopias, it is assumed that the improvement in life will automatically ensure the cooperation of the individual in the perfection of society. In dystopias, the fulfillment of the individual is always denied as a condition of a collective utopian dream, end quote. Scherdeman comes from a school of thought that, as Gregory Clays puts it, quote, Utopia, more than anything else, meant a condition of institutionally supported, enhanced social ability and friendship resting upon a broadly egalitarian foundation, but not necessarily communism, end quote. He goes on to say, quote, it sees utopianism as expressed practically in communalism in particular, in primitive societies and intentional communities from the ancient world to the present and in the ideas which have underpinned such experiments, end quote. Latitude zero certainly fits in with this line of what I would call misguided thinking. I mean, LZ develops highly advanced technology that it only occasionally shares with the world by secretly dropping it in a lab somewhere. 
Otherwise, they keep it to themselves because they don't trust outsiders. That should tell you something. I really, Jimmy? You're attributing the COVID vaccines to latitude zero. Oh, boy. Getting back to the movie, Lawton and McKenzie have an exchange over LZ's governmental system, or lack thereof, maybe, that seems to fly in the face of this reality. Lawton asks who Latitude Zero belongs to, and McKenzie replies, the people who live here. Who runs it, Lawton inquires. McKenzie tries to deflect it, like a politician would, I might add, by asking Lawton why he questions everything, to which Lawton says, I'm a realist. Mackenzie retorts, we are the realists. That's why we're not political here. Politics are only needed by people incapable of running their own lives. He adds later that arguments in LZ are to solve problems, not bolster egos, and that they practice pure science instead of profitable science. It sounds eerily like a line from Thomas More's book, quote, Anyone who campaigns for public office becomes disqualified for holding any office at all, end quote. It's a weird melding of libertarianism and socialism, but it assumes that people are inherently good and won't let their personal ambitions, however big or small, compel them to exploit others. My Christian faith teaches me otherwise. You're right, Jimmy. 2020 and the internet have brought the worst out in people. But it's not just my faith that says that, listeners. Even a Marxist like Ernst Bloch thought Utopia was a pipe dream. He believed, as Ruth Levitas said, that such utopian thought wasn't quote-unquote transformative or rather, quote, anticipatory, but merely critical or even compensatory. And like all cultural forms, it is subject to manipulation so that the mirror in which the wishful images are reflected may be, as Bloch says, a beautifying mirror which often only reflects how the ruling class wishes the wishes of the weak to be, end quote. All that to say, there's a reason why Lawton jokes he's fallen through the looking glass into Wonderland. He suspects Mackenzie is kidnapping people and brainwashing them. And again, I say, I can't blame him. He knows the failed history of achieved utopias. Remember how Agent Smith said humans rejected the early perfect versions of the Matrix? He said it was because humans couldn't believe in a world without struggle. George Orwell, author of 1984, said something similar when reviewing Mein Kampf by one of those achieved utopians, Adolf Hitler. Quote, Hitler has grasped the falsity of the hedonistic attitude to life. Nearly all Western thought since the last war, certainly all progressive thought, has assumed tacitly that human beings desire nothing beyond ease, security, and avoidance of pain. Hitler knows that human beings don't only want comfort, safety, short working hours, hygiene, birth control, and, in general, common sense. They also, at least intermittently, want struggle and self-sacrifice. And when talking about the appeal of fascism and socialism, he said, quote, Whereas socialism and even capitalism in a more grudging way have said to people, I offer you a good time, Hitler has said to them, I offer you struggle, danger, and death. And as a result, a whole nation flings itself at his feet 
We ought not to underrate its emotional appeal, end quote. Once again, I go back to Thomas More's book where he says, quote, for things will never be perfect until human beings are perfect, which I don't expect them to be for quite a number of years, end quote. Mackenzie definitely agrees with that because he tells Lawton that Latitude Zero will remain hidden until the day all men live in harmony with one another. He might be waiting for a while. Weird thing I just want to throw out here. The original script for this movie was going to end with not five days passing, but 50 years. So yes, Lawton would have woken up in 2020. He probably would have went straight back to Latitude Zero if that was the case. Just saying. Pessimist? I'd say I'm a realist, but you'd quote the movie back at me. Not to mention I was raised on Star Trek, so optimism is practically in my blood. That is true, Jimmy. Star Trek is a utopia. Although if you watch certain Trek shows and pay close attention, you'll see it isn't perfect. And I will admit that in this film's case, the idyllic LZ was probably meant to be a contrast with the hellish blood rock, just like Mackenzie and Dr. Malik are supposed to be mirror opposites. I'm not sure either of those guys are real either, by the way. It's also an expression of Honda's idealism, which we've talked about a lot on the show. Which, listeners, brings me to a concept I can get behind, and one that is in line with franchises like Trek. Protopia. <laughs> Speaking for the kaiju lovers, hey Jimmy. For those who don't know, which I assume is most of you, futurist Kevin Kelly defined Protopia as, quote, a state that is better today than yesterday, although it might only be a little better. Protopia is much, much harder to visualize because a protopia contains as many new problems as new benefits, this complex interaction of working and broken is very hard to predict, end quote. Some call this utopianism and argue that it is the driving force behind positive social change. It acknowledges that a so-called perfect society may not be achievable or even desirable, but that doesn't mean people shouldn't strive to make a better society. It reminds me of the preamble to the United States Constitution, which says, quote, in order to form a more perfect union, end quote. Not absolutely perfect, more perfect. Utopian fiction, perhaps even to an extent dystopian fiction, as King puts it, quote, in the nexus of literary, philosophical, and moral inquiry can be identified with its critical orientation to the present and its concern with the liberatory dimensions of choices people make in the present, end quote. If nothing else, we can take that away from Latitude Zero. Alrighty, with that, we'll take a quick break and return with some listener feedback. See you after these messages. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. 
I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Kaiju lovers, welcome back. We missed you. Anyway, I got a little Instagram message here from J.R. Villers, co-host of the Drift Space podcast and friend of Jack G-Man Hudgens. Sounds like someone's still salty G-Man beat him in a bar fight. Anyway, J.R. writes, Hey Nathan, I'm a few episodes behind, so I know I missed the deadline. Injecting myself here real quick. He's referring to the deadline to send in feedback for our anniversary special from September. But I just wanted to say how much I enjoy the show, man. I started listening around the King Kong episodes, and I stuck around because of how entertaining the show is. Even though G-Man is a good friend of mine, it's refreshing to learn about the franchise from someone new. And then this next line is actually a little bit of an announcement. I haven't mentioned this anywhere. I don't even think the guys on the Drift Space have mentioned this yet. But breaking news, I can't wait to have you on the Drift Space for Star Trek 4. Keep up the great work, man. So yes, just to clarify things a little bit. Yes, I have been invited onto the Drift Space and I'm anticipating, unless there's some other things going on behind the scenes... I will probably be their first ever guest on the Drift Space. Yes, they invited you on the show too. So I guess both of us will be their first ever guests on the show. Really? I don't recommend going a second round with G-Man. Did you learn nothing from the first time? Oh, really? He won't have the emergency evacuation switch to save him this time? Whatever, man. Hopefully you fight better sober. Anyway, thank you so much, JR. It's been great interacting with you on the various social media platforms, and Jimmy has had some interactions with you as well. You've been a tremendous fan. I love hanging out with you on the social medias. And I think it's going to be really fun to be on your show. I've been listening to The Drift Space since pretty early on. I've heard all of your episodes. You guys have a fantastic show. And I can't wait to go on and talk about something that I love. Hot take right here. I hope you can all take it. That I might actually love more than Kaiju. I know it's hard to believe. I know I've become the Kaiju guy with most people that I know at this point. But yes, I adore Star Trek. I have since I was a wee lad, as Scotty might say. 
So I can't wait to come on and talk about Star Trek 4. It's not my favorite Star Trek movie, but I love it a lot. So there's a little preview for your listeners and for my listeners here. If you want to migrate over there and listen to the episode that Jimmy and I will be on, hopefully very soon, we'll keep you posted. Well, that seems to be all we have in the mailbag, so... Yes, Jimmy, I know we have one more message, but... I'd prefer not to. Ugh, plastic contractual obligations. Okay, fine. I got an email from... My pseudo-sister, Jessica. She writes... Hey, Baca... Oh, wonderful. Just what I need. Another nickname. Did you miss me, bro? I've been having a good time with our sister, Sarah. But after the holidays, I'm coming back to the island. Oh, joy. I've been looking at job openings there, and I applied for a few that would be fun. Being a magical girl superheroine can't pay all the bills, you know. Anyway, just wanted to let you know because we'll be seeing each other a lot more really soon. Jamatane. Sincerely, your new sister, Jessica. Oh, yippee skippy. Just what I need. This girl's not even a year old. Heck, she's not even six months old, and she's already proving to be infinitely more annoying than all of my younger siblings put together. No. No. Don't you dare. Pull the my family died card on me, okay? You're not guilt tripping me with this. No, just no. Oh, come on, please, just no, no, Jimmy, don't cry, please. I don't need this right now. I really don't just, okay, fine. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I get it. She might be this clone that came out of nowhere because of your wonky teleporter, but I guess she still is technically family, and and it would be nice to have a family member, however weird a one it is, here on the island, and, you know, everybody else in my family lives all the way in Indiana, and, and I hardly get to see them anymore, and... Fine! Okay? I'll be nice. I'll show a little appreciation. All right? Do my best. I got it. All right? We cool? Thank you. Now, you know, get yourself a tissue there really quick so you can, you know, dry up. We don't need you shorting out the equipment here while we're broadcasting. But, oh, boy. 2021 might be worse than 2020. All right. Be positive, Nate. Be positive. Okay. Anyway, let's move on to a very important segment of the show, the Patreon shoutouts. Travis Alexander! Michael Hamilton! Danny Damana! Eli Harris! Chris Cook! Bex from Redeemed Otaku! Thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. I can't say that enough. 
You too, Kaiju lovers, can get this and other great perks like behind-the-scenes blogs and bonus blooper audio by supporting MIFV on Patreon, starting at just $3 a month. A link to our Patreon will be in the show notes. And by the way, I just added new tiers to the Patreon where you can sponsor episodes. Yes, you heard that right. You can start sponsoring episodes in 2021. There are only limited slots for that. If you want to get in on that, you have to sign up for it by the end of February 2021. But be warned, it's a first-come, first-served basis if you want to jump on board with that. Yes, Jimmy, one of those tiers is called Jimmy's Intern. And if some brave soul decides to jump in on that tier, they get to replace you as producer of the show as well as choose what gets covered in that episode. That'll be interesting, to say the least. On the next episode of the Monster Island Film Vault, it's time for our season finale, which is just Space Amoeba, a.k.a. Yogg Monster from Space, because Godzilla vs. Kong isn't out. But... I'm having Matt and Grattan from the Giant Monster BS Podcast joining us for that one. They'll definitely spruce up our discussion of that film. Another announcement? This one isn't fake news, is it? Really? Mechanicong is almost done? That's exciting. No wonder you were busy during your vacation. A special project? Do you mean the orca? Oh, something else, huh? Color me interested. Miss Perkins is here? All right, cue those credits. Thank you for listening to the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast produced and hosted by Nathan Marchand. If you enjoy the show and want to join the discussion, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at feedback at monsterislandfilmvault.com. Your message could be read on a future episode of the show. Our website is monsterislandfilmvault.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Monster Island Film Vault and on Twitter, where our handle is TheMonsterIsla1. You can also follow Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA Jimmy. I have fulfilled my contractual obligations. The podcast logo was created by Tyler Souls from TylerDrawsComics.com. Our theme song is Wander on the Offensive, live edit by B33J, Sarax, Juan Madrano, and Nonsensical Lexus, which is a remix of Counterattack, Battle with the Colossus, and The Open Way, Battle with the Colossus by Koatani from the video game Shadow of the Colossus. It can be downloaded from ocremix.org. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and other fine podcasters. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to spread the word about the show. You can also support MIFV on Patreon. The Monster Island Film Vault is a Moonlighting Ninjas Media production. Sayonara! All right, she can come in the studio now. Hmm, so that's Miss Perkins. Hipster glasses, blue ponytail, and a black pantsuit with silver highlights? For real? 
And what's with the lightning bolt earrings? Game face. Hello, Miss Perkins. It's nice to finally meet the board's executive assistant. And the feeling is mutual, Nate. Do you mind if I call you Nate? That's the name the board has been using for you with my communications with them. They think it matches your, uh, youthful energy. Uh, I guess? But it's usually just my friends who call me Nate. Well, we're all friends here, aren't we? Sure. Right, Jimmy. Two minutes. So, what's this all about? The second season of your podcast, of course. The board has reviewed your proposals and sent me as Monster Island's head of PR to make the announcement on the air. I would tell you what it is, but the board thought it would make for good radio if you learned it at the same time as your listeners. Very well. I am a sucker for dramatic reveals. Did she tell you anything, Jimmy? That's something I need to discuss with you off the record. You were right to call Jimmy's fake news last month. What are you getting at? Your show has done wonders for the island's image and brand, but the board has been unhappy with James's wild claims of a Godzilla vs. Kong premiere on Monster Island. But he says they were the ones who told him. Have you received any communications from the board about it? No. That's because none were sent. But the board announced it on Twitter! The board has learned that their Twitter account was hacked several times in the past few months. They don't know who did it, but they have their suspicions. Jimmy tells crazy stories, but if the board thinks he's weaving an elaborate web of lies, they're full of more crap than a toilet. Don't make me fire the... The sad excuse you have for a producer on this show. It's okay, Jimmy. With all due respect, Miss Perkins, Jimmy and I badger each other on the air, but we're actually friends, and I'd go to the mat for him. Also... I don't take kindly to threats. Then it's good the board is pleased with your job performance, despite everything. <sighs> Jimmy tells me space isn't that scary, but I don't feel like getting shot into orbit against my will. I'm glad we came to an understanding. Here's a press release I wrote announcing your next season. Why didn't you- Welcome back, kaiju lovers! As promised, I'm joined by Miss Perkins, the new executive assistant to the Monster Island Board of Directors. Welcome! Hello, Nate. It's a pleasure to be on the radio show and podcast that has done so much for Monster Island's brand by discussing the fantastic films featuring its kaiju residents. Thank you, Miss Perkins. I've been honored to be the island's film curator and share my knowledge of these movies not only with Monsterland tourists, but with fans all over the world. Yes, and with your next season around the corner, the board wanted me, as the island's head of PR, to personally deliver the decision letter concerning your proposals for the next season of the Monster Island Film Vault. This is exciting, kaiju lovers, because I'm learning what they decided at the same time as you. Even Jimmy doesn't know. What are you waiting for? Read it. Dear Mr. Nate Marchand, we've reviewed the proposals you submitted for films to cover in Season 2 of the Monster Island Film Vault, and once again, we're pleased with your creativity and insightfulness. Thank you. 
Your enthusiasm for the Heisei Gamera trilogy, as heard on One Cross Radio, was infectious, and with more tourists visiting the island to see the Guardian of the Universe thanks to the popular Arrow video Blu-ray sets, we agree that those films should be covered on your show. Yes! Haha! <laughs> this is gonna be great! Keep reading. In fact, we believe you shouldn't stop there. What? We have decided that you will analyze the entire Gamera film series on your show? That's 12 movies! Actually, 13 if you include the re-edited US versions of the first Gamera film. Yeah, and only four of them are good! Keep reading. We expect you will bring your usual energy and academic excellence to each and every one of these films to show that they are as culturally and historically significant as any starring Godzilla or Kong. In fact, we unanimously voted to give Gamera the title of King of the Monsters and designate 2021 as the Year of Gamera. To quote Arrow Video, the king is dead. Long live Gamera. Thank you once again for all the work you have done and will do to help us find a better way forward. Signed, the Monster Island Board of Directors. 2021 is going to be a good year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it sounds like your intrepid producer has an important personal connection with one of these films. So he's told me. The friend to all children is going to be excited when he hears this. Ah, good work, James. That will reflect well on you during your next annual evaluation. Nate, we're looking forward to you helping everyone on Monster Island, human and kaiju alike, find a better way forward next season after such a tumultuous year. It's what I do. And with that, kaiju lovers, join us next time for our exciting season finale. Sayonara! Sayonara!